This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Challenger Men's Care. It is the best care for your head and your body that you can possibly get. So I've been using their products for a long time, actually, two or, or three years at this point. I use a thing called Challenger Matte. It is a hairstyling cream that is fantastic. So I used to use, like probably a lot of you men out there, use an axe or using some other weird stuff that you just happen to pick up at the salon or the CVS or the Walgreens or whatever. And it was always a problem for me because, you know, you put it on in the morning and you walk around and then halfway through the day, your hair looks terrible. And so with this product, the Challenger Matte product, the hairstyling cream, uh, it just works all day. It holds all day. And if my hair does get jacked up from whatever I'm doing, uh, sprinting away from lions or something like that, uh, tons of lions in LA, let me tell you, um, then you can just restyle it real quick and, and your hair looks back to normal. They also make shampoo and body wash and conditioner and hair loss stuff and eye cream and pretty much anything that you would need if you are a male and you care about your hair or body or both of those things. Um, they have eye cream, they have hair loss stuff, they have all of the things and you can get it on amazon.com. Search for Challenger Men's Care and you can see their full lineup of products or you can search for Challenger Matt if you want to keep your hair looking stylish all day long because that is what I use. And I'm not saying that just because they're a sponsor. I've honestly used it for like two or three years. And this is the very first ad read I've ever done for them. So uh, go to amazon.com, get yourself some challenger. You'll be happy that you did. Oh, and if you are a woman listening to this show, go ahead and buy some for your husband or your son or your dad or your whoever. They will love you for it. All right. On this episode of the podcast, we are doing another AMA. Got a lot of fun questions. Let's get into it. Ben would like to know arm bar versus triangle. So that is a jujitsu question for all of you out there that are wondering, or an MMA question for that matter, in case any of you are wondering. Um... Well, at the risk of disappointing Hiron with my answer, I will answer honestly and I will say triangle, although I think the more correct answer is triangle, transition to armbar, transition to triangle, transition to control, whatever you need to do to get the job done. But I do like triangles. And shout out to Evandro Nunez. He is the triangle master. I've been caught in uh, many of those by him. And uh, it's... Uh, unpleasant, but also very pleasant in the sense that I learned a lot. So triangle all day for me. All right. Question number two comes from (laughs) Juke Nasty. Got to appreciate the creativity with the name Juke Nasty. I think Juke Nasty is gonna, I guess he already took it, but I would love to make that a a, some sort of pseudonym. That's hilarious. Uh, All right. What is your advice for young marketing professionals? So the biggest piece of advice here is to build skills outside of whatever your core job function is, particularly in digital marketing, metrics, code, e-commerce, etc. And the reason for that is that you know, you uh, may be funneled into a very certain, it depends on the organization, right? If you're at a startup, you're going to be wearing a lot of hats, you're going to be doing a lot of things. If you're in a bigger organization, however, you are going to be siloed most likely into a very specific type of role. You're going to be put through this tunnel and you're going to want to 
they're going to want you to stay there. They're not going to want you to, to venture outside. And, and that's fine. But I would recommend that on your off time, you build other skills. And so by the time that promotion comes up or whatever that is, or the next time you're in, in you are in your interdepartmental meeting or whatever, you're going to be armed with a whole bunch of knowledge that nobody is even going to know that you have because you're doing your core function of out of home marketing or whatever it is, right? Customer service, etc. So my recommendation would be to go on to YouTube, go on to Code Academy, go on to all these different sites and just learn as much as you can. Read a lot of blog posts, listen to some podcasts if you want to, but build something outside of your current role, especially if you're just starting out, you're fresh out of college or whatever, um, and, and really focus on, on the digital aspects of things. Obviously, COVID has changed the world in many of ways, and one of the ways in which it has is that consumer behavior has shifted into going back online for many of their goods. So get familiar with Amazon, how AMS works, which is Amazon marketing services. Uh, Maybe start with CPC, cost per click advertising, figure out what the metrics look like, figure out what a CTA and a CPA mean and all those different terms. And so that way, Again, whenever you're in an interdepartmental meeting or a meeting with your boss or you're ready for that next promotion, you're going to be armed with a lot more information and knowledge than anybody's ever going to know about. And, you know, maybe take it one step further and sell one drop shipping product and use one, two or three of those skills that you're trying to learn. Very low investment. Um, You know, I'm talking less than 100 bucks here just to learn by doing, you know, study the theory and then put it in practice. Don't expect anything big, but just use it as, as as your own type of curriculum that you've made for yourself. That would be my biggest recommendation. I think what happens a lot of times is you get the job, right? Your your first job or your second job, you're, you're, you're young, out of college, and you just kind of stay there. And when you get home, you want to drink a beer, hang out with your girl, or you want to do whatever, which is great. You should do all those things, but maybe just take a couple hours a night to study a few more things in a related field. So that way you will be ready to go and succeed in the future as well, I might add. Of course, when you are a CMO or a VP or a director of marketing level type individual, you're going to need to know quite a bit about quite a bit. Okay. Uh, that was a great question. Juke nasty. The name would not indicate the quality of the question, I will say. Um, all right. So Nate wants to know, what are some of the learning resources or books that you would like to recommend? So I'll put these links in the show notes. They are affiliate links, um, but these are books that I have read more than once. And so the way that I think about it is if there's a book that I need to read more than once and the first time around I was taking notes, the second time around I'm also taking more notes, that automatically qualifies it into tier one awesome book reads that I would recommend to to everybody. So one of those books is Leadership Strategy and Tactics by Jocko Willink. So this is a good one because he really goes through all of exactly what the title says. It's one of the great things about it. It's very straightforward leadership strategy and tactics. So not just looking at it from the top down, looking at it from the bottom up and everywhere in between. So leadership is a, a 
big subject. It's a very hard thing because it is something that you need to ingrain in your personality. And sometimes when you're in the midst of conversations or whatever that is, you're going to have to kind of make some mantras in your head to remember, hey, this is what I need to do in this situation. And this book is a very tactical book. All these books that I'm about to recommend are very tactical books. I don't read any fiction. I, I, I It's hard for me to read stories about startups and stuff like that. But the tactical books, the, hey, this is what this is. This is what you can do right now. I love those books. And this is one of them. The second book is Negotiation Genius. And that's by Deepak. I'm going to butcher his last name, um, Malhorta, I think, and Max Bazerman. And so this is, I believe, these two, two dudes are from Harvard, and it's part of the Harvard negotiation curriculum. And the cool thing about this book is that it, it's a long one, and you can get it on Audible if you, if you don't want to read the print version, but they go through every single piece of a negotiation uh, from the start to the finish and how you can optimize for your best outcome. Now, this isn't one of those things. There's another book called Getting to Yes. I don't really like that book because really what it's just saying is kind of roll over and meet in the middle. And that's really not what you want to do in a negotiation, right? Because that's not going to serve you in the best way that it could serve you. You want to get the most out of any negotiation that you go into. Now, whether the negotiation is you buying a car, whether the negotiation is you arguing for a higher salary or whatever it is, these tools and tactics in that book are going to serve you throughout your personal and professional life. So negotiation strategies in this book are very, very good, very detailed, very long. Uh, the book is called Negotiation Genius, and it is a sleeper it, in that. Not that it's going to put you to sleep. It's a sleeper in that. I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but I really, really enjoyed that book. And I've used a ton of the things in that book. And again, going back to my base premise on these books that I'm recommending, every single one of these books, I use the tactics in them and it's made me much better at all of those things uh, that they talk about. The third book is High Performance Habits by Brendan Burkard. And this book is, it, it can be a life changer for some people. Um, it was definitely a life enhancer for me. And what he does is he goes through and he talks about all of the high performing humans and not just their stories and stuff. Again, I can't really stand that kind of stuff. It, it gets very boring to me. Like, hey, what is whoever the hell talk, you know, think about X, Y, and Z. It's just, you know, it's whatever. But what he did is he went out and actually put data against his recommendations and came up with a unique framework for actually doing things. And so everything from how to calendarize things, how to set goals, how to, um, you know, put tactics against those goals. And it's just, it's a good book. I really enjoyed that book. And he narrates it himself. He's, he's got a good voice. He's fun to listen to. Um, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's real high up on my recommendation list. So high performance habits, go check that one out. Uh, Brendan also has a, a podcast, uh, more motivational kind of stuff, not necessarily my style, but man, this book kills the game. It's easily the best. And I've read every single habits book you can imagine, Atomic Habits and this Habits and Habits for whatever. And this is by far and large the best one out there. So High Performance Habits, um, it's definitely worth a read. And the last book that I'll recommend, the fourth one is Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wilwright. 
And he is part of the Robert Kiyosaki media. If you know about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, this book is the biggest beast on the list. It is a massive, massive book. And for all these books, you should be taking notes along with them because they are so heady and, and they are so detailed with their tactics. But this one really is laying out very, you know, basic stuff to very advanced stuff. So everybody gets taxed, right? It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It doesn't matter if you're an employee, not an employee, self-employed, all those things, you're getting taxed. And this is relative to income tax specifically. And and how to reduce your income tax by doing the things that the government wants you to do so that you can take more money, put it in your pocket, invest it, and create a better life. And so Tax-Free Wealth is an incredible book. It really is. I've recommended it to all my close friends. It's 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 wild. There's a ton of learnings in there. You know, I, I know a fair bit about this subject, but man, my mind was blown at the amount of detail and structure and, and advice that he has. Again, all these books are in the show notes, so they are affiliate links. If you click through on those things, it will help support the pod, um, so I'd appreciate that. But as a very quick review, it is Leadership, Strategy, and Tactics by Jocko Willink, Negotiation Genius by Deepak Mahorta and Max Bazerman, High Performance Habits by Brandon Burkard, and Tax-Free Wealth from Tom Wheelwright, part of the Robert Kiyosaki Mafia. Those books are awesome. I guarantee it. All right. This question came in. They didn't want to have their name on the question, which is fine. Uh, Easy question. Do you drink coffee? Yes, I do drink coffee and energy drinks. Um, Energy drinks tend to be my vice. I try to get the ones that are the natural versions like a Kill Cliff or one of those types of guys, Zevia, etc. But yeah, I do drink a fair amount of caffeine. Uh, Why do I do that? Well, I work out a lot and I work a lot and I don't sleep a ton. So (laughs) caffeine is a good tool for me. It's not for everybody. I am not very sensitive to caffeine, so it doesn't make me jittery or anything like that. I I know it's a bit, it's an interesting subject actually. So I'll hear some people, they say, yeah, well, you know, what's interesting is a lot of high performers I've talked to, they don't drink coffee, but I also know a ton that do. So that's no indication of performance or, or anything else, or, you know, it's just, do you like coffee? Do you not like coffee? Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel bad? And then make your own decision. Um, I would say that. I think it's a good tool when used in the correct way, much much like most tools, I would say. Britt would like to know my favorite memory from college. So I actually went to college with Britt, which is why she's asking this question, um, which is uh, quite fitting. So I will I will say there are two related memories in college. So in college, I was starting two different businesses. So one was Barnana, one was Candy Lab. Um, at the time, Candy Lab was, we were just making websites, right? That's all we did. Um, code the website, design the website, do the SEO for the websites, that sort of thing. So one of those memories is we're in one of the upper division marketing classes and what I, you know, you have your laptop out, quote unquote, taking notes. And what I was doing was working on Darren Sproul's very first website and logo and all that stuff. Uh, He was a running back for the Chargers, uh, an NFL team. And yeah, I remember my professor caught me doing it and um, asked me what I was doing. And I explained it to her. 
And uh, she actually took it a little better than I thought, although she was still not pleased. And so uh, I had to take handwritten notes for the rest of that class. And then uh, I knew she was spying on me after that. So I continued to do it, but just a little bit more incognito. So that was one just hustling. You know, I think if you're in college right now, hey, enjoy your time. Obviously, right now you're learning from home, so it's a whole different situation, but it college is great, but you need to be doing practical, real-world stuff right now. And so I would recommend starting a business. It doesn't even matter how small or profitable it is. Just start doing something while you're in school. That's certainly what I did. And the second memory would be uh, taking the very first Barnana samples that Kawa and I had gotten from South America and then taking it to class and sampling Brit and a couple of other people. Uh, you know, this was very, very, very early on. This was zero product, uh, prepubescent branding. You know, I was designing the logo and packaging in class style stuff. And uh, that that tends to be a pretty fond memory. You know, it was one of those things where when you're very first starting a business like that and now looking back at it seven years later, you just had a lot of hope and, uh, you know, a lot of optimism and a lot of dream that, that it would work out okay or that people would even like it, right? Which is why I brought the samples to class just to see if people would enjoy it because it was such a foreign idea. You know, these dehydrated bananas, none of them were in the U.S. and we had something to prove and obviously we have. But yeah, that, that tends to be one of my uh, all-time favorite memories from college as well. Um. Next question from Jiri. Jiri? Jiri? Not quite sure how to pronounce your name. I'm sorry. I'm going to go with Jiri. So, what is your favorite Barnana snack? This is a tough one for me. So, my very first one was the original bites. So they're just these dehydrated morsels of banana and you eat them and they taste like banana bread and they're super clean, nothing added to them, really delicious. And I still really like them. And then it was the coconut ones where we just took bananas and coconut and put them together and it was also super delicious. And then it was the tropical bites where we took pineapple, mango, and banana all together. And and oh man, if you haven't tried those things, they're they are insanely good. But my all-time favorite one has to be the pink salt plantain chips. And what I do with them is I'll take um, I'll take these smoked oysters in a can. I know it sounds weird, but just hear me out. Um, actually, side tangent real quick. So when the virus was first going down, all these lockdowns and stuff, and I'm in LA, so it was extreme lockdown. I went to Sprouts and I'm like, all right, I need to get rice. I need to get a bunch of shelf-stable stuff. I have a bunch of wild game meat in, in my freezer, so I wasn't too worried about the protein aspect. But I did want to have some backup. So I go to the store and most things are out of stock, right? I'm walking down the aisle. Well, guess what's there? all of the smoked oysters. So I don't think they're a very high velocity item in stores, but I will say they are super delicious and not very expensive either. So what I'll do is I'll take the pink salt plantain chips and I'll take some smoked oysters, put them on there and eat them as a snack. And oh my God, they are delicious. Um, so yeah, that's my favorite Barnana product. And also my favorite pairing with that product are, are smoked oysters. Maria B wants to know which are the main characteristics that the market requires of a food product. Hmm. Well, that's a very nebulous one. So obviously market fit is the number one characteristic. Uh, Are people going to want to buy this thing? Yes or no. Uh, You know, you can get an MVP product and test it to see 
see if that's true. You can sample people who aren't your friends or family and see what they think. Of course, when you sample your friends and family, it's it's good to get their feedback, especially if you preface it by saying, hey, be brutally honest with me. Do you like this? Do you not like this? What do you like or not like about this? And they're still going to probably sugarcoat it, you know, because they love you. And, and that's all good. So I would recommend going out and just sampling random people. Of course, right now, it's a little difficult in this whole COVID environment. But in the old days of, you know, February and before that... You can go out and you can go to a store, you can go to a mall, you can go to a promenade of some kind and, and just ask people if they want to try a free snack and, and give you their unbiased feedback. And that'll be very valuable. We did this by sampling in store back in the day in, what was it, 2012, 2013? And you, you'll be surprised. You know, people have a very interesting, diverse amount of opinions about food, especially. And with food, it's a very fickle thing. You know, people are very particular. They like their things one way or the other way and no other way. So keep that in mind. But it is good to get some feedback outside of your friends and family. Uh, I do know that some entrepreneurs do fi- find themselves falling into the folly of asking only their friends and family. And... <clears throat> they may have just a little bit of a distorted perspective about how good the product is. So that's the number one thing. Uh, Do people want to buy it? The second thing would be taste. Does it taste good? And again, that can be achieved by asking people, having them try it and taste it. And and obviously your palate uh, needs to like it as well, because if you don't like it, then you're not going to be nearly as passionate as you could be about selling your own product. And then, of course, price. I don't know why I'm coughing. I don't got the virus, I promise. I've been tested. Um, yeah, so so price. So it, it sort of takes the the first two things, and 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 if you take all three of these characteristics, that's really what's going to tell you if there's an opportunity there. So um, are people going to buy it? Well, if they like it, great. If it tastes good, great. But at what price, right? So if I'm selling food for three hundred dollars. Mm, probably not a lot of people going to buy that thing, most likely. Now, if it's in line with the other goods on the shelf in terms of price, then you have a shot. So if people like it, it tastes good, you get their feedback, you incorporate it, and then you say, this is what the competitors are pricing their products at, and I can price mine somewhere in that range. It can be at the bottom, it can be at the top, it could be in the middle, but as long as it's within the range somewhere, then you have a right to play there. Now, if you do find yourself on the upper end of the price scale, you're going to need some additional characteristics to bolster that. So is it keto? Yes or no. If it is, then you should have a certification for that. Um, is it organic? Yes or no. If it is, you should have a certification for that, right? So these things for consumers, these sort of authority builders in the consumer's mind are ver- going to be very important. And then, of course, you do need a pretty package because, again, your best form of marketing is the packaging on the shelf. And when people are in stores, that's the thing they're going to see. Or if they're online shopping, they're going to look at the package and say, you know, do I understand what this is? Is it interesting enough to me to even click on it on the Amazon listing to begin with. And that is a big deal. So that very, very first visual impression needs to be meaningful, needs to be thoughtful, and you need the authority and cred to back up the price point. And of course, if you got taste in there, then pretty much you have the golden soup that you'll need to sell some food products. So that's what I would say. Obviously, I could go on and on and on and on about all of the different characteristics, but I think I 
cleared out most of the main ones there. Thoughts on food products internationally from Benson. So international is very interesting. Um, a couple things on international. So the first thing relates back to price and, and exchange rates. So for instance, the US dollar is stronger than the Australian dollar. So if you want to export your products into Australia, then they're going to be a higher price on the shelf there. Now, the interesting thing about that is, you know, okay, say your product in the US costs five bucks. And with the exchange rate, it's going to be 10 bucks and and also the margin for the importer is going to be 10 bucks on shelf in Australia. Okay. So that might be good, that might be not good. It just depends. So if you look at the other snacks on the shelf there, if they're all at $7 or below, then that's not good, right? You're you're not going to you're very unlikely to succeed if your product is priced that much higher than the competition in that market. And a lot of that goes back to exchange rate, right? So if it, it, it's highly dependent upon your business and the way the financials look. So if your product margin is high enough, right? If you're selling, you know, call it dry, you know, coffee powder in a packet or something where you have really high margins or a supplement or something of that sort, um, where you can afford to give up some margin to get into the international market, then that may be good. So if I do have a very high margin product, I may, I might say, Hey, well, what if I just reduce my overall margin, sell it to the importer, at a lower price so that I can hit that $7 price point, then you can start to have it make sense there. If that isn't the case and your margin's already maxed out and you're already giving the importer a discount just to still be that much higher on shelf, higher priced on shelf, then it's probably not a fit. On the inverse, if the exchange rate is in your favor and you're going to somewhere like Norway and you know that the products there are already expensive and then even if you keep the margin the same, you'll still be able to compete from a price perspective, then that's probably a good deal and you and you may want to look at that. I will say the distributor... Uh, in that country, in that home country, so the importer, it's very important to pick the right partner. So there are some language barriers, right? Um, there's a whole bunch of complexities when when going international. It depends on which country you're going to. So for instance, if you're going to Canada, well, you're going to have to have every single thing on your package doubled over in French in the exact same size and weight of font on the package, both in English and French. And so your design is going to suffer uh, a bit. It's going to change. It's going to look, it's going to look very different. Actually, I wouldn't even say a little different. It's going to look very different. And so, you know, you have to take that in consideration. Some of the certifications are different. So some of these countries have their own organic certification, for instance, or their own non-GMO regulations. For instance, in Korea, non-GMO is a totally different thing. So here in the US, what you'll see is the non-GMO project. And it'll say non-GMO project verified, which means there are no GMOs in the product, right? It's verified to have zero GMOs. In Korea, the hair packaging uh, regulations for GMOs is the inverse. So actually, you don't you only have to label the product if it has GMOs. You see what I'm saying? So in the US, if it doesn't have GMOs, you put something on there saying no GMO. In Korea, it's just assumed there's no GMOs unless you do have them, in which case you have to put this has GMOs in it. So there's a ton of packaging rules, regulation, certifications and, and craziness that goes along with international uh, distribution of your products. 
So you really want to investigate the country and each one's different. If you do find the right importer or the right broker, international broker, then, you know, they can help you through a lot of these things. If they're already working with bigger brands or brands that you know, uh, I would recommend calling that brand and and seeing what their experience has been like. Uh, Don't be afraid to ask a ton of questions, both of the brand and the the broker importer partner. Uh, It also helps to have one that speaks the native tongue. So, you know, if you're in Norway, unless you, you know, spark or you're not gonna know kind of what what to say or not say you know things some things just don't translate that well if you're going to another english-speaking country from an english-speaking country it's much easier if you're going from a spanish-speaking country to another spanish-speaking country much easier so keep that in mind um, you do want everything to look very native linguistically when you are marketing whether it's on the package whether it's in social media or whatever that is and some of these brands will have uh, uh, you know, market specific, country specific messaging. So, for instance, NOCO, N O C C O, it's one of my favorite brands. They make, uh, you know, it's called, stands for the No Carb Company. So, shocking that it's one of my favorite brands, but they make energy drinks, another shocker. Um, and they also make uh, popsicles and all kinds of things with no sugar in it. And the thing I love about that brand is that, so they started in Sweden, so they have NOCO Sweden, and then they have products distributed in Norway, they have NOCO Norway, even though Sweden and Norway, both, both uh, ethnically and culturally are very similar. I mean, they were the same country up until the early 1900s. They still have separate Instagram accounts for both of those markets. They also have a separate one for Iceland, a separate one for the United States. Now they came here, I think a year ago or so. And so they're really digging in another example. This is McDonald's. They change their menu items completely per country. So the menu items you'll find in Thailand are significantly different than the ones you find in Mexico. And so that's a very important piece of it. Um, Somewhere like Japan, right? There's not a ton of people who grow up uh, studying English, for instance. And so you're, unless you know kanji and hiragana and and, and kanji, like you're not going to, in katakana, you're not going to know what to say, how to say it on pack. So you really have to rely on your broker, importer, partner in those countries to give you guidance. Sometimes they'll even translate things for you. They'll start an Instagram account for you. So there's a lot involved. Uh, There's a big opportunity there, but just keep that in mind. Also keep in mind that not all of the diet trends that are happening wherever you are from are the same in all the other countries. Some of them are, you know, maybe they have diet trends that are going to happen in the United States into years or the U.S. oftentimes is ahead of many countries uh, as it pertains to dietary trends. And some of them will never transfer. Some of them will just stay in whichever country you're in. And so uh, keep that in mind when you're thinking about how you market your products internationally. Uh, That was a big one. There was a lot in there. And there's uh, likely a lot of things that I forgot. But uh, that'll give you at least some semblance of what I'm talking about uh, as it pertains to international distribution and how that works. Okay, what is your favorite Instagram account? Another person that didn't want to be named all good. I do like to give that option uh, in case you want to ask any questions. I'm not going to just say your name if you don't if you don't want it out there. Um, so my favorite Instagram account is Nature is Metal. So um, maybe some of you have seen this, maybe some of you have not. It is a very graphic Instagram account. It's all nature stuff. So, you know, the reason that, well, I guess I'll just explain what's on the account first. So pretty much what it is, is predators um, murdering and eating other animals is pretty much what it is, killing and eating other animals. And the reason that I like this Instagram account is that humans are animals too, right? And 
by the way, there's no humans on that account, but we live in the natural environment. Uh, society as we know it today is so new and we often forget how nature works. And so this is like National Geographic uh, times 10, maybe for an adult only audience. But you know, you'll see everything from uh, a seagull eating a fish to an eagle snatching a mouse to a hyena ripping and eating the guts out of a kudu uh, all over the map, right? You'll see bears and wolves and, and, and the whole bit. You'll even see some surprising things like pigeons and rats fighting and trying to eat each other and, and all kinds of craziness. But the reason that I like to watch it is because this is actually the world. This is the natural environment. This is actually what happens in nature. And I like to remind myself of that. Of course, I am an avid outdoorsman, but still, I just like to see what animal behavior is is like, and they have a ton of different species on there. It's really crazy. Um, and again, if you're um, a little weak in the stomach, I, I would recommend not looking at this account. But if you think you can stomach it, it is certainly one of my favorite uh, Instagram accounts on the internet. That is for sure. And the final question. Uh, what are your thoughts about jujitsu and the policing issue right now? So this is a very touchy subject. Um, I'm going to fully defer to Henner Gracie for his thoughts on this. Um, you know, through the GST program at Gracie University, they train tons and tons of, of police forces all over the country. And, you know, he, he's way more close to it, way more knowledgeable. I'm not even qualified to really speak on this matter. Um, but I will say that uh, police need more training straight up. Um, you know, the things that you see out there, it's, it's a lack of empathy. It's a lack of training. It's a lack of a lot of things. And, you know, you heard Jocko Willink, he said they should be training. I think 20 or 30% of their job should just be training. And I tend to agree with that. You know, some of these things that you see out there should never happen. If you're a properly trained individual in, in jujitsu, grappling, combat in general, you're not going to see a cop punching somebody in the face. Like that shouldn't even happen, right? Like that shouldn't even have to be an option if you know how to grapple with somebody. And let's just say this person for just to build a straw man argument is a, you know, they just um, murdered somebody or something, something terrible, right? And the cop needs to restrain them. Well, the cop doesn't need to shoot them. They don't need to punch them in the face. Not to say that, that, um, you know, cops shouldn't have guns or anything like that, but I'm just simply stating if, if they are unarmed, you, you as a policeman should, should, or a policewoman should have the tools in your toolbox to be able to restrain that person safely put them into custody safely and deliver them through the correct process. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've been the subject of, uh, some really bad policing actually, you know, I have been a victim in that. And so I am speaking from a place of experience when it comes to that. And I'm also speaking from a place of experience of, of doing jujitsu a lot. And, um, you know, it's a it's a very tough thing. The, these people need to be trained. Um, they clearly are not trained in the way that they should be. I mean, obviously some of them are, um, but there needs to be more time, money, and and focus dedicated into to having these people police people correctly. Being hey, how about this? Being nice first, right? Um, and then when they need to not be nice and and actually restrain a suspect, do be able to do it safely. 
I don't think it's that crazy of a concept. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial here. Um, but again, you know, those are just sort of my anecdotal thoughts. Um, if you do want to see more on this subject, I would, I would recommend checking out Henner Gracie's Instagram, Henner spelled with an R. Um, and he can, he can really walk you through exactly, uh, how, how that all works much better than I can. So I would recommend doing that. So sorry to end on a somber note, but that is all for this this episode of the podcast, the Ask Me Anything episode. If you would like to ask me something, feel free to DM me at Ingersoll, N-I-K-I-N-G-E-R-S-O-L-L-N-I-K, or go to IngersollNIK.com and shoot me a message in the contact form there. I will answer your question. Um, I won't say your name if you don't want me to. It's all good, and you can ask me whatever you want. Uh, there, I don't think I've ever seen a question where I'm like, oh, I'm just not going to answer that. Unless it was a really dumb question. Uh, not even dumb, but just kind of like a, a non-question. <laughs> More of a statement. Uh, I'll, I'll answer whatever, whatever you guys want. So, um, Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. If you do like it, leave a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcasts or the wherever you get your wonderful podcasts. And until next time, I will chat with y'all then. Peace.